Every single day you wake up, you have the opportunity to start over, to make a difference, to right a wrong, to shift your life into a better direction. Thankfully, we have a God that gives us that second chance every day. We hope this show will bring you information and stories that will inspire you to be the best you can be. This is Every Day is a Second Chance, presented by Heyman Hoke. Thank you for joining us, and God bless. Welcome, everybody, to the very third episode of Every Day is a Second Chance. Thank you for joining us today. I've got a really special guest today, a very, very good friend of mine I've known since shortly after I moved to the Dallas Metroplex area. Uh, Scott Snelling is with us today. Scott is a personal injury attorney, and uh, he'd probably say what I do when I introduce myself as an attorney. Please don't hold that against us, uh, because we uh, don't like attorneys probably as much as you all don't, because we have to work with them all the time. Um, But Scott has been practicing law for a number of years. He is in a different area of law than I am. Uh, as, as you all know by the introduction, our show is uh, sponsored by my firm, uh, Heyman Hogue, which is a uh, state planning and elder law firm with offices in Frisco and uh, Arlington area. We serve the entire Dallas Metroplex. Uh, we are a faith-based organization, um, uh, eight attorneys, and all we do is wills and trusts and probate and guardianships. But Scott works uh, on personal injury. And uh, I think most of you all, when you hear personal injury, you may think of Ambulance Chaser, but I would say that Scott is by far not in that category. Um, Before I started doing estate planning and elder law, um, I was a trial lawyer. So the first 10 years of my practice, I did trial work. And six of those years, I had the unfortunate uh, mispleasure of being an insurance defense lawyer. So I was... Uh, defending cases that attorneys like Scott uh, bring. And I learned very, very quickly that there are good ones and there are not so good ones. There are ethical ones and not so ethical ones. And Scott, I'm glad to say, is a great Christian brother friend of mine who takes care of his clients like they're his family. Um, And he's just a great person. Um, I'm, I'm it's a pleasure to have him on the show today, but this show is about hope. This show is about God and a God of second chances, and Scott has a second chance story. He and I have shared that over our, the times that we've spent together, and I want Scott to share that with you. But he is of the same belief, I think, that I am, that we serve a God that doesn't give us multiple chances. He gives us a second chance after a second chance after a second chance. And I am actually in one of my other second chances. Um, I've told you guys in prior episodes about my near-death experience back in 2007. But I haven't shared a whole lot about my recent uh, divorce. And I went through a divorce over the last couple years that was not very good after a 35-year, very dysfunctional uh, relationship, and God has given me a second chance of moving on to that, and I'm really excited. I'll share that as we go through, but um, every time we turn around, God's given us second chances to start over, to do a right, to right a wrong, to change our attitude, change our direction, and to serve Him, and to do what God's will is for our life. 
So Scott, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. Uh, Scott not only is an attorney, but he also has a podcast of his own. I'll let you share a little bit about that and what, what brought that about and why you felt that that's a need. Um, and, and tell us about you. Tell us where, where'd you grow up? Where'd you come from? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first off, thank you, Fred, for, for that amazing introduction. I appreciate it. And Yes, one of our goals is to change the perception of personal injury attorneys. Yes, um, it is. As I sit here, I'm looking out the window of the studio and I see personal injury advertisements <laughs> and vehicles <laughs> driving by with personal injury lawyers' faces all over them. Uh, that's not the kind of firm that, that we have. So thanks again for having me on, Fred. Yeah, so I was born in Lubbock, Texas. That's, that's West Texas for anybody out there who doesn't know where that is. And we moved to Plano when I was about three years old. Okay. And so I grew up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Went to high school there, and then uh, for college, went down to Baylor, All down right. in Waco, Texas, Sikkim Bears. Okay. And so I was down at Baylor for undergrad and law school, uh, back before Waco was a cool place to be. Okay. And then right out of law school, came back here to Dallas, and similar to you, I worked on the defense side for the first four years of my career doing products liability defense work. Great learning experience, not a whole lot of fun to do. Yeah, a great learning, learning experience. Absolutely, great learning experience. I got to work with some amazing attorneys, mm -hmm. And we did products liability defense work, mainly for automotive manufacturers. So I was in on really big cases with really big issues and deposing experts and all that stuff. Um, so I got a ton of fantastic experience. And then in 2008, uh, the worst economy I'd ever seen, I right. quit my job and started a law firm with, with another friend. Perfect and, timing. Yeah, hey, <laughs> you know, I always tell people, I don't know, if I knew now, or if I knew then what I know now, I don't ever think I would have had the courage to do it. So right. naivety can be a good thing at times. Yes, it can. And so we had that firm uh, up in McKinney for almost nine years. And then we went our separate ways. And I've had uh, Snelling's Law in Frisco for uh, since 26, or I'm sorry, 2017. We're almost six years old now. And yeah, because so, I yeah. remember when we met going through that process, you, would, you were leaving. I think about that. that's about the time you and I started uh, meeting with each other and we got introduced to each other um, when you were kind of leaving in, in the process of leaving and transitioning and starting your new firm about that time because I had merged my firm with Rex Hogue, my partner now, in 2016, June of 2016. So it, right. it was all around the same time. Yeah, absolutely right. It was, you know, those kind of processes are always difficult. Yes. Uh, but it was, it was great, and it's been great for both of us. Both of us, I think, are happier. We're, we're, we're both thriving, and it's been, you know, a, a great experience. So what, in, what exactly is personal injury law? I mean, people see these advertisements, and, uh, and, and they really make probably you as angry as they make me because they're, they're just – those attorneys, I found, that – they probably do the worst job for their clients than most because I, a lot of those I call personal injury mills where they're, mm. they, they volume and they get them through as quickly as possible. When I was doing defense work, I hated dealing with those attorneys uh, because a lot of them wouldn't even try a case. They, you know, if it got to that point, they would dump the client and all. Your firm is different because your firm personally takes care of each client and is not afraid to go to trial if that's what it takes. And those are the attorneys when I was doing defense work, I loved working with um, because you can do what's best for your client. 
and, and, and it's not always about winning. It's about, okay, what is fair? What is right? What, what took place? Um, how do you, you all approach your, your clientele different? Yeah, so to, to address your first question, what is personal injury? Um, really, it's, it's any injury caused by someone else's negligence and where someone gets hurt, right? Obviously, they have an injury, they're hurt. Right. Uh, that can be from roadway incidents like car crashes, motorcycles, pedestrians, uh, uh, bicycles. And it can involve things like uh, premises liability, um, product liability is, is also a section. There's medical malpractice, which we do not do, mm -hmm. um, and, and several different kinds of areas of personal injury. So I would say our main focus is on the roadway incidents as well as premises liability. And so the way we look at it is, is our mission is to really provide as big of an impact as we can for injury victims. Um, we've found that a lot of firms approach it in a less than personal way. Mm -hmm. And so what we want to do is we want to take fewer cases and we want to make a bigger impact, meaning we dive deep, right? We, we try to fully identify each and every element of damages and work those up. Not make things up, work them up. Right. Really find the value in the claims and make sure that our clients are able to obtain treatment. Um, what a lot of people don't know is that when you're involved in a car crash, a lot of doctors won't see you. Mm -hmm. They don't have to, and mm -hmm. they don't. And so we get several calls each month for people who can't find anybody to treat them for their injuries. Right. And so um, sometimes we'll help them find those providers that will treat them and do a good job. Well, and I, I kind of, on the topic of our show, I honestly see a lot of what you do as giving your clients a second chance after something that's happened in their life that's often pretty darn tragic. Um, I used to, to say when we, when we were in that arena, what, what is good for the client is bad for their case, meaning if they're not hurt that bad, their case isn't worth a whole lot. Mm. And what's bad for the client is good for their case. So the worse they're injury is the worse their predicament is it's it's because it does come down to money i mean it's kind of money of paying doctor's bills paying for lost wages and all that um but they're going through a tragic event i mean I, I have a lot of your clients in doing the estate planning after things like this has happened after right. they've settled a little lawsuit or things like that putting trusts in place and stuff like that and i've seen some people that truly are starting over a second chance in their life. And I think that people like you and I in their lives can really direct whether their second chance is a poor pitiful me second chance or a I'm going to turn this around and make my life better second chance. You, you understand? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I think we have great influence in that area. I think right? so too. Uh, we always, we're always up front with, with potential clients in our strategy session. And, you know, people always want to know two things. How long is this going to take? How much money am I going to get? And the answer to those is, as any good lawyer would say, it depends, right? right. It depends. We don't know how hurt you are. Right. And we have no idea how long it's going to take because we don't know how far down the road we're going to have to go. Right. But I will tell them, look, this is not a multi-million dollar case if it's not. Mm -hmm. Right. And then I'll look at them and tell them, that's a good thing. 
right? Because yeah. the clients who come in and they do have those bigger cases, you wouldn't change seats with them in a hundred years. Yeah. Because no amount of money is gonna make up for them that crash that they've been through, those injuries that they have. Right. They would never say, oh, I'll take the money and deal with these injuries as opposed to, well, let's rewind time and not have to go through that again. Right. But to your point, yeah, one of our core, one of our um, uh, culture pieces for our firm is our core principle is you know, an optimistic attitude, right? And so we carry that through with our clients and we talk with them in terms of, hey, look, first off, you're here, right? You survived this crash. Mm-hmm. That is, that's a blessing right there. That's right. And so how do we work through to get you as healthy as possible, mm-hmm. right? How do we ensure that you have the least amount of financial struggle as this is ongoing as possible? Mm-hmm. Um, here's some tools that you can use, right? Here's, here's property damage brochures on how to negotiate your property damage claim. And we try to provide them with tools along the way and encouragement. Right? A lot of our clients have other stuff going on. They're about to get married. They're pregnant. Mm-hmm. They you know, have other big celebrations coming up. We want to participate in those with them. right? Mm-hmm. We, we just had a client who had a baby and they got a, a nice gift package from us because you know, once, they're, once they're one of our clients, they're a part of our team. Well, and, and that's why you and I have hit it off so much since the very beginning of a meeting is we don't see our law practice as our life. Mm. We see our law practice as the way to carry out our faith and our belief and, and, and our serving of, of God and Christ. And, and that's a huge difference. I mean, the one thing, when I, when I was doing a lot of trial work, the ethical dilemmas come left and right. Especially when you're a black hat. Right, <laughs> right. And, and there's not enough attorneys that, and I'd say in any occupation, um, finding those people that walk the walk, no matter what their occupation is. And, and that's what I've loved about you, Scott, is, I, you know, you and I have had more talks about our, our faith and our belief and our way we take care of our families and our, our employees and all. And that's more important than the law that we practice. And, and you do. You carry that through what you do. And I think part of that is because of what you've been through mm. in your life. And you've had a... I don't know if you would classify it as a near-death experience, but I, I would if you wouldn't have gotten the help that you needed and the friend that you had. Uh, tell our viewers, what what did you go through not, not very long ago? It hasn't been very many years. Yeah, so uh, back when I was at that first insurance defense firm, I was um, diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. Actually, I think it was right after we started our firm in 2008 that I got the diagnosis. I wasn't feeling great. Which is exactly what almost killed me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the, the doctor put me on medication for that, and that medication shut down my kidneys. Mm. And so by the time they figured out what was going on, the damage was done. Uh, had a great nephrologist, Dr. Farkas that uh, put me on high-dose prednisone and kind of quelled the damage as much as he could. But you know, after everything had kind of gotten back to as good as it was going to be, we had the discussion of, hey, you're going to have to have a kidney transplant. Wow. Not now, not probably in the next couple of years, but it's going to happen. So your perfectly healthy kidneys 
because of a medication being treated for another condition, right? it ate them up. Well, one of the things that I suffered before I went through my operation at all, when I was being treated for ulcerative colitis, was a medication that shut my gallbladder down. And I had to have gallbladder surgery, same thing. So this, it's not uncommon for these medications that are to treat these serious autoimmune diseases to have these side effects. And, and so what you're, you said that was about when? That was about 2008, 2009, somewhere around there. Okay. And um, yeah, so over the next several, several years, I was fine. You know, I was, I was taking medication to, actually I wasn't taking any medication. I was just managing, you know, and as I, as the kidney function started to deteriorate, I really, I felt okay, but I was really tired. I mean, mm -hmm. I could go to bed at seven o'clock and wake up at eight o'clock the next morning and I would still be tired, mm -hmm. which is not me at all. And you know, I was, I was married at this time. Um, I had had my daughter and my son, I think my son was maybe nine months old when the doctor said, okay, wow. we're at that level now where insurance will approve a kidney transplant. So here's a link, send it to everybody you know, who, and if they're willing to donate, then they can click on the link, answer some questions. If they're healthy enough, based on the answers to those questions, then we can go get a blood test for them. My insurance pays for everything. And then if they're a match, then they kind of go to the next step to do a more in-depth physical to see if they really are a match. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to tell you, that's probably one of the most difficult things that I've ever had to do in my really? life is send out emails to people that, I mean, it's one thing to send it to your parents, you know, your wife, yeah. your, your in-laws, you know, that was, that was difficult, but to even acquaintances and friends, a little bit different than uh, can I borrow your lawnmower? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, thankfully it was a kidney, right? I'm not asking them for their heart or or their liver, right? Um, but that was, man. Talk about um, there's certain things that happen in our lives sometimes that humble us. That was the word that I was about to say. Humble. Yeah, yeah. Talk about a humbling experience, and even more so the response that I got. Okay. I mean, I had guys at church. I had you know, friends from across the nation. I had, wow. I mean, I think, I, I think even a couple of the guys um, from whenever I did my visit, my study abroad summer over in Australia, wow. I tried to get tested and man, that is, that filled my heart for sure. Yeah. Uh, just to see all those people step up. And, you know, one of the ones that, that stepped up was, was my best friend, Jacob Thompson, that I'd met in, at Baylor mm -hmm. and he passed step one. He was healthy enough past steps. Step two, he was uh, a blood match and step three took a little longer. I mean, obviously if they're going to pull somebody's kidney out, they want to make dang sure that they're going to be perfectly fine. They don't want to create another health situation. Right. And so one of the final steps was they had to do this test where you, they come in in house to the, to the nephrology place and you, drink this dye and then you have to drink water and this last this test lasts two three hours i think and you have to go to the bathroom every 30 minutes and they measure kind of your output right mm -hmm. and that gives them the best indication of how good the kidney is functioning mm -hmm. and so that test was scheduled out for like three months wow. and so jacob got a call and said hey we had a cancellation tomorrow can you make it well jacob lives in oklahoma 
Woodward, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. So not just like Durant, which is right. an hour away. Right. Woodward, which is six hours away. And he said, what time do I need to be there? And I think it was at like maybe 10 in the morning. And so he got up at the crack of dawn and drove down here, wow. called me and said, hey, you want to grab lunch? I'm going to be in town. Wow. And he, I had no idea what he was doing. And so, yeah, we met for lunch and, you know, he told me what had happened. And I was like, you just drove down here for that? He's like, yeah, I didn't want to put it off. Right. And so those test results came back and, and he was a healthy match and the kidney was good. And so I think we scheduled the transplant for three weeks later, which happened to be on Halloween of 2017. Wow. Wow. And so how long was the recovery and how did your family handle it and how, how did it change your life? So uh, the recovery was super simple. Uh, really? Yeah. Jacob's was laparoscopic, so they were able to just pull his out. Um, I don't think he had any incisions, just the, the laparoscopic stuff. And then for me, I was out of the hospital in three days. No kidding. Off pain meds. Wow. So they did an amazing job. I went to, to Big Baylor, Baylor mm-hmm. Dallas, and their transplant team was amazing. I was in the transplant ICU for, yeah, three days. And That's amazing. Um, you know, I don't know if you've ever had a, a uh, carotid line through any surgeries, but when they, a main line, but when they pulled that thing out, it was like the magician who just pulls the handkerchief out and just keeps coming and coming and coming. Yep. That thing was like this long yep. whenever they pulled it out of my neck. Yeah, I had um, a pick line for a while during my issues. Yeah, it's, it's. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. And so, you know, the recovery process was super easy. Jacob was, was up and around. We were both up and around, I think within the day. And it was just simply amazing for as big of a surgery as that is. Uh, that the, the recovery was so easy, but I remember that morning, uh, I, well, we had to leave super early that morning. In fact, we stayed at a hotel downtown right across from the hospital. And so the day before when we left, my in-laws were there with my kids and I remember looking at my kids and saying goodbye. And I was optimistic. I had a feeling that everything was going to go great, but there's always that chance. That's right. And just knowing that, man, this could be the last time that I ever see my kids or that they ever see me. And they were young. Yeah. Mm. And there was that, that knowledge of they're not going to remember me. Right. And man, that was, I think that was the hardest part of the whole thing right. was looking at my kids and, and kissing them and then leaving not knowing what was going to happen and how did you feel after it was over when you saw him again did it change the way you looked at your position as a father from this that point forward i think it changed i mean the whole situation changed a ton about life Um, i would be lying if i said that all of a sudden i had this you know huge epiphany and you know i've been an amazing dad since then in terms of spending time Mm -hmm. and being completely present with my kids because you know we always wander from those experiences right just like Mm -hmm. the israelites hey you you go you go through the the red sea and then all of a sudden you know a couple months later you're griping about stuff so but yeah it definitely changed my perspective um but but truly the the pinnacle of the whole experience was um, they took Jacob back first and then they took me back probably 45 minutes later and I hadn't had any drugs pushed in me or anything. And 
I said, you know, bye to my mom and dad. They were back there and then gave Sarah a kiss. And then as they were rolling me back, I can, I can still see it right now. Like we came out of like kind of the pre-op area and there was this long hallway to go back to the operating room. And as they were wheeling me back, I had this overwhelming feeling of peace. Mm. And, you know, my family and I had prayed before, before they sent me back there. And it wasn't peace that everything was going to work out, that the surgery was going to go great. It was peace that it didn't matter what happened. Yeah. I knew that, that God was going to take care of my family mm-hmm. if, if things didn't go right. And if they did, that we would be good. And, and the Bible talks about a peace beyond all understanding. And, and a lot of people don't, can't comprehend that. And I think until you feel it, it's hard to comprehend. It's easy to read it and say, okay, yeah, I believe that. But that happened to me uh, during my situation. Um, I was in critical condition for 10 days. During that 10-day period, um, I was out. I was pretty much drugged, kind of a, I wouldn't say a drug-induced coma, but pretty close. I hadn't talked. I was full of tubes. They were doing everything they could to fight the infections. And at one point of that, my wife at the time was sitting at my bed. We were in ICU. And she said she could tell that the man in the room next to me had passed away by the way everybody was acting. And all of a sudden, I came out of all but a coma. I looked at the window between our two rooms, and I said, I can't do that right now. And it startled her, and she said, what are you talking about? Do what? And I said, die. And she said, of course you can't die. And she goes through that, and I look back at the window, and I said, see, I can't do that right now. And... My, my wife said she could feel a presence in the room. She couldn't explain it, but it was different. And it lasted a few seconds and then dissipated. And I looked back at her and I said, I don't know where that came from. And I went back out for five more days. And it was about 10 days out of recovery when I was in stable condition that she told me this story. And she was crying the whole time she's telling me this story and she said do you remember that happening and i said no but i can tell you what the window looks like Hmm. and ever since that moment i've never been afraid to die because that moment whatever happened to me in that moment i'm convinced it was a spiritual encounter of some kind. I, I, I either spoke with an angel, I spoke with God himself, I, I don't know. But ever since that moment, I've not been afraid to die because it's given me that peace, like you're talking about, beyond all understanding, that I know there's a far better place than what we have here on earth. I know that everything will be okay. But it's the, I, I wish everybody could experience that, what we, you're, you're t- you and I are talking about, but I don't want them to have to experience that. You know what I mean? Yeah, experience it in a non-nasty scenario. Right, <laughs> right. One of the things that these second chance events do is it changes your perspective about things because, you know, 
I know that you're a great dad, just because you and I have known each other. I know you're a great dad. We've talked about our kids, and it, but but that experience made you a better great dad, because mine did. Mine, I remember when I was in going through the worst of it, the worst. I wanted to die. I had gotten to the point where I was so full of infection, I was so sick that I was I was tired. I was tired of living, and. My, my girls were snuck up to the hospital and I think they were five and two at the time. And I can remember it like it was yesterday, seeing these two beautiful faces look around the corner at me. And I went through what you were just talking about. I, I What if I die? They're not going to remember me. And I'm being selfish. I want to die for me, but I need to live for them. And it changed my whole perspective on what it was meant to be a dad. And it did. It changed my whole direction on, on them for the rest of their life and how I they became more of my priority than work. And I know that's with you. I mean, I know that if you look back before you had kids in this situation, work was a little bit more important than it is afterwards. Well, and when I had my kidney transplant, it was two months after I'd started my firm. So, yeah, yeah. There, were, there were all kinds of things that were going on then. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, second chances in life are... There's such amazing things. Sometimes when it's near death or, or health issues like this, you, we don't want to wish that on anybody. But we also, one of the things I want to point out in this show is that what you do with that is more important than the situation and everything. And so we're about running out of time, Scott, but I want you to kind of sum up, if you were to kind of just uh, sum up what you did and what you changed in your life and what maybe attitude adjustment, whatever, after that all went through, what, where did you change directions and what, where, where did you go from there? Yeah, so I would say yeah, I would never wish anything like that on anyone. And obviously, if I could rewind time, I would not have the kidney issues, but we can't do that. And so I, I embrace that journey. You know, I, if, if one thing happens through it, it was, I, I deepened my relationship with God. And um, I've surrounded myself with people who encourage me, who inspire me. And uh, I consistently try to get better each day and try to overcome my own selfishness and understand that, hey, I'm, I'm living for um, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and, and not for Scott Snellings, even though Scott Snellings tries to get his way every <laughs> single day. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm there. And I know we're, we're out of time. we got to wrap this up. But I want to finish by you, you said that you're surrounding yourself. And one of the things you've done to do that is you have your own podcast. I do, what, yes. Share with them what yeah, that is. So uh, The Driven Crowd is the name of the podcast. And we have driven people on talking about um, all kinds of topics, how they got where they are, how they deal with uh, adversity, mindset, uh, time delegation, all those kinds of things. And it's driven people learning from other driven people. So we hope that you've learned a lot from this show. This has been great. Scott, thank you. God bless you, man. This has been awesome. Uh, come back and see us in, in another few days or a week whenever we get this next one published out. Uh, thank you all. And we'll see you soon. God bless. God bless.